Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. All are welcome. Please join us in the Solder Smoke. All right, let's see. It's holy cow, March 18, 2012. That means I am extremely late in producing episode 142 of the world-famous Solder Smoke podcast. But here we are, gentlemen. Once again, I have a good excuse. I, I am late because I have been melting solder and transmitting RF in that order. And, uh, and doing a lot of both, actually. Having a great time um, building stuff. And then a part of the hobby that I've been neglecting, the social part, the operating part, that's what I've been, been engaged in. I've been, been transmitting, mostly on 17 meters, and having a good time with it. Um, yeah, I told you guys that I was getting the uh, 17 meter equipment recycled, recycled from cycle 23 to cycle 24. I'm happy to report, and I think I've already told you this, that that's completed, but I made some improvements on the antenna, just some final peaking and tweaking with the gear, and I tell you, I am now a formidable presence on the 17-meter phone band with um, 15 watts of single sideband power heading out from my dipole antenna. I've been working just about everything I can hear and having a great deal of fun with it. Nice guys on 17, as always. It's uh, my kind of band. No contests, no real pressure. A lot of people call CQ. Um, it's just just a very nice place to be in terms of operating. Good DX possibilities. It's not, you know, really in great shape because the sunspot cycle, let's face it, is a is a bit of a disappointment. But um, well, you know, the solar flux gets up about 110, 120, 130, and uh, as long as the sun is up, 17 is in good shape. And I've regularly been working uh, coast to coast. I've worked down into um, as far south as Argentina, work Europe all the time. And, uh, you know, it's not really the DX that you're, that we're after. It's more the, uh, the conversations, the contacts, the friendship. And there's certainly been a lot of that on, on 17. I've even run into some guys, uh, who are, uh, solder smoke fans. Um, let's see. Let me, I got some, some notes here about who I ran into. Ah, uh, Mike, WA6ARA. It was on 17. I was talking to somebody else, and all of a sudden I heard a signal coming in from distant California. And it was Mike, and it was great, great to hear him. Great to talk to him. He's a longtime listener, a longtime contributor to uh, to Solder Smoke uh, uh, programs and blogs. And it was was great to, to run into him on 17. We had a nice contact. And then, you know, um, just talking about WA6ARA, just a few days ago, they made all the editions of QRPP, the journal of the, the NorCal QRP Club, available. And I, like everybody else did, I immediately downloaded them all and uh, was scrolling through them. And the first thing I found was an article by, by Mike that uh, talked about uh, using RS-10 and RS-12 satellites. With He, he used them with... Uh, HW7s and HW9s. I, uh, I used my Helicrafters HT37 and Drake 2B, of course, but it was good to see his article in there. And Mike, great to talk to you on, on 17. Who else? Let's see. Um, 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 Charles, AI4OT, <clears throat> worked him several times. He's right here in the neighborhood. I get him when he is uh, mobile on the way home. Uh, and Charles, uh, we met at, we met up at the, um, at the Winterfest Hamfest a while back, and met him again this year. This year's Winterfest, and uh, good to see him again. He's a he's a home brewer, a QRPer, and he's got one of those little um, um, QRP rigs in a in a in Altoids box um, that uh, um, that uh, melts melts solder up there in New England puts together. Um, very good to see him. Let's see who else we had here. Dun 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 dun. Um, let me see who else. There was somebody else I was going to mention. Oh, Alan, the uh, the guy on the road, the tech for Techtronics. Uh, he, I don't think he heard me, 
No, I couldn't hear him, but he heard me. So, so that almost counts. And um, let's see. Oh, I, and I'm hearing people that I haven't heard in 20 or 25 years. Jorge, HK4CZE. I hear him on, and I thought, wow, where did I, where did I talk to Jorge? That's the voice sounds familiar, the call sounds familiar. I thought I might have been talking to him from the Azores, but I checked my logs, and it was before that I was talking to him. The last time I talked to him, I was already I was living back here in Virginia, so that puts it somewhere around the um, 1996 to 2000 period. That's going way back, but uh, anyway, it's been great fun to get back on on 17. Like I said, um, all kinds of friends there. Hey, and uh, you know, in getting this uh, gear on 17 meters, I was reminded of some um, uh, kind of test gear in the shack that that we all have, but we might not see it as test gear. And this is particularly important when doing scratch-built home brewing. And um, you know, here I'm going to refer to the simple SWR meter. I have found through bitter experience, guys, that that the simple SWR meter can be a good way to find out whether your your new creation is is transmitting on the desired frequency or oscillating wildly on a variety of <laughs> unwanted frequencies. That's what my uh, my transmitters often do, as as you've all heard, but. Um, you know, here's. I guess you could think of the SWR meter as a a really poor man's spectrum analyzer. And uh, let me explain. You know, if you have, um, say, your 17 meter dipole up there, and you have a rig that you know is working fairly well on 17 meters, you check the SWR on that antenna system, and you see that it's around oh 1.2 to one. Good fine. You know everything's okay with that antenna system. Then you go and you build your new rig. Say you build a new single sideband transmitter for, for 17 meters and you get everything tweaked up and you get it going and you think it's great and you've got it on the workbench and you're working into the dummy load. You're working into a resistive dummy load and that output signal just looks beautiful. You think everything's great. Well, you're not quite done yet guys because for me the real acid test is uh, whether or not this thing is going to work when you put up when you connect it to a real antenna because I have faced the bitter disappointment of finding out that the answer to that question is no very often <laughs> at least with my rigs but anyway it's just it's not really a complicated idea but if you've got that antenna and you know that the SWR is pretty close to one-to-one -one and everything is resonant and then you know you take your newly created rig and hook it up and you know, start transmitting and you notice that the SWR is now, you know, four or five, six to one, way up there, way up in the red zone. Well, that is an indication that RF of other frequencies, frequencies at which the uh, the SWR of the antenna will not be in the one-to-one -one range, you've got something else in there and you need to, you need to work on it a bit. Uh, so I guess you can think of that SWR meter as a really poor man's spectrum analyzer. Um, let's see what else um, yeah and I had to do some of this kind of work on the 17 meter uh, SSB transmitter I also discovered uh, kind of a, a few little problems that um, I thought I had completely licked in uh, in the Azores and in, those of you who've read the book Solder Smoke Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics will know that I talked about a problem that I had in the Azores where um, it was a problem with spotting or as the uh, the British would say netting. Uh, whenever you're using separate receivers and transmitters you of course have to have a, a way of getting that transmitter on tuned to the same frequency that you're receiving on and most people do this by a, a zero beat method. You put a small amount of signal out through the transmitter, you listen to it on the receiver and you tune for zero beat. The problem I was getting was that I wasn't have there, there was no one clear zero beat point. I would put my transmitter in the spot position and then as I turned the frequency control listening on the receiver on the desired frequency I would hear whoop 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 and so there were many different points there and I couldn't tell which one 
was the desired point. It's kind of a strange problem. It's a problem that comes up when you're using separate receivers and transmitters. I don't think I was really putting out signals on all those frequencies, but there was something weird going on. And I, I faced this problem with the same rig out in the, the Azores, and I eventually narrowed it down, and I diagnosed the problem. I troublesho my troubleshooting came up with the di diagnosis of um, the carrier oscillator was running a bit too hot, and it was producing not only the desired frequency, but all kinds of harmonics. And then some of the harmonics were interacting with the VFO, or the VXO in this case, to produce a whole lot of kind of spurious signals close to the frequency that I was listening on. So when I was out in the Azores, my first thought was, aha, I'll just build a lot of shielding and I'll shield that carrier oscillator. But then I thought, well, why don't I just try to work on getting rid of these uh, kind of uh, harmonics from the uh, carrier oscillator? And I did in the what I did in the Azores is I put a, a kind of a variable or a trimmer cap in the feedback network so that you could adjust the um, the feedback the amount of feedback taking place to get it to oscillate at kind of lower levels so it would produce fewer harmonics and then you would get rid of these really annoying little kind of birdies in interfering with the uh, the netting process. Well, you know, sure enough, I, I um, was fooling around with the carrier oscillator and I got rid of that variable capacitor and, yep, wouldn't you know it, went back in there and, and when I tried to do the spotting thing, it uh, it wasn't working out for me. So I didn't go back to the variable cap. I just decided to see if I could, if I just reduced the, the voltage going to the uh, carrier oscillator, whether that would have a similar effect. So I put a little um, variable resistor on the um, the 12-volt line going to the... Uh, the MPF-102 FET that I have in the carrier oscillator circuit. And sure enough, just by bringing the, um, the voltage down, it had the same effect. And um, things got cleaned up, and now no chirps, no birdies, and the, uh, the spotting or netting is, is spot on and uh, no problems there. So that was fun. Another, another little problem popped up. You know, one of the uh, – there, there are problems in using relays. I use a lot of relays in my rig and, and I rigs, and uh, – you know, for transmit receiver switching over the antenna, for spotting, for switching in the uh, the the linear amplifier and all that. And um, one of the problems with using, well, a couple problems. One of the problems, every time you use the relay, you've got to worry about the relay transients. When that coil activates or deactivates, it sends a big pulse, a big high voltage pulse through the whole transmitter if you're not careful. The, the big trick, the trick is, of course, to put a diode and a capacitor across that that relay coil so when that back EMF pops up when that relay either kicks in or is released that back EMF goes through that diode and not through the other circuits in your <laughs> transmitter. I've learned this through bitter experience having destroyed many 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 NE602 uh, chips before I figured out that it was the relay transients that was killing them. Um, the other problem with the relays I read about this recently in QQ, I think, was that, uh, you know, they, they're designed only to have a certain number of cycles, you know, and they'll wear out and they'll stop working. They're mechanical devices. And some of them have, I think, kind of shockingly low, low numbers of cycles uh, in their design. Anyway, I, one of the, uh, it was going to be a real pain, one of the relays that I had in the, uh, in the transmitter, the one that was going to switch the, um, the two crystals, I got two crystals in there because the um, the oscillator in the uh, transmitter is a variable crystal oscillator. And I like to be able to switch the crystals from the front panel. So I have a, um, a relay in there that allows me to throw the switch. And, and one crystal takes me from 18128 to uh, 18155. The other one goes from 18153 to the upper edge of the 17-meter phone band. So, uh the, the, the relay just wasn't relaying. And uh, this is where sort of intuition and experience, kind of gut, gut instincts in home brewing came in. And I said, man, I bet you 
I don't want to have to relay replace that whole relay. Something just seems to be wrong. Something maybe maybe the maybe the contacts got a little sticky or something. I don't know. I just took the soldering iron and and heated up the uh, the terminals to the contacts, and sure enough, whatever gunk was in there that was interfering with the uh, smooth smooth operation of my variable crystal oscillator was taken care of by the heat and I didn't have to go in there and rewire this whole relay so uh, well that was <laughs> that was good um, another kind of um, let's see what else we got here um, yeah I've been reading a lot of uh, QRP quarterly I really like I got I got all the old back issues from um, QRP ARCI the QRP Amateur Radio Club International and uh, I really enjoy this you know I've, I've pretty much read and almost memorized all of the sprats so you have to move on so I've kind of moved on to QQ and I'm getting similar kind of uh, blast from the past thrills from uh, from this magazine current editions have uh, articles by uh, by Pete Giuliano on the 17 meter SSB transceiver that he made that he built recently very very fine business really enjoyed seeing that and you know, as I go through old editions of uh, of QRP Quarterly, uh, kind of poignant discoveries, I I come across uh, articles by Mike KL7R. He was a frequent contributor, more more frequent than I realized. And um, and I find articles. I found the one where he did the uh, the the DSB modification for the HW8, and it was kind of kind of neat to um, to find that. All kinds of good. My one of my favorite parts of uh, QRP Quarterly is the idea exchange column, and for a while there, every morning I was printing out the uh, ten or twelve pages from the idea exchange, and taking that with me on the uh, the Washington Metro. Uh, great fun uh, doing that. Let's find good articles there by Pete Giuliano and others. Um, let's see. Um, oh yeah, on the um, the uh, I've. I, Working on other rigs here, and uh, one of the uh, one of the things that I did with the uh, 17 meter SSB rig that I've been using, you know, you've you've heard about me using the the, the JBot amplifier designed by by Farhan, and I was one of the consequences of this is that I was able to pull out of the um, the transmitter the, the the power amplifier that I used in this rig while I was out in the Azores. What had happened there was that I had. had so much trouble getting a uh, power amplifier to, to operate for this rig um, that I finally just threw up my hands and gave up. And what I did was I pulled out of uh, a, um, a CW transmitter that I had built the, um, the power amplifier circuit, figuring that, well, I got it working in this rig and I could, it should be relatively easy to get it working in the new rig. And sure enough, I did. It was um, the, the power amplifier from the very first real transmitter that I built. It was the 6-watt VXO rig from the AWRL book QRP Classics. And I built this rig not one, but two solar cycles ago. <laughs> and I built it in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. Oh, man, great stuff. I ran it first with the with the Drake 2B. Then I built an SSB receiver to go with it. Uh, I mean, a, a super head receiver to go with it. But it's a real simple little rig. It was a 6-watt uh, VXO receiver, a monobander, and I built one for 20 and I built one for 30. And I love that thing. That, this was the, the rig that gave me my, the first, my first real kind of homebrew thrills. But it had to be cannibalized. Guys, it had to be sacrificed for the sake of scientific and technological progress. And so... The power amplifier circuit from that rig, which was really most of the transmitter, made it into the 17-meter SSB rig and served as the, the amplifier for that rig when it was out in the Azores. But now I wanted to go JBOT, so I built the JBOT board, and I pulled that 17-meter, I pulled that, that, that power amplifier out, and I had it in my hand, and I realized this gives me the opportunity to rebuild that VXO CW six water that I built way back when in Santo Domingo, and I even have the original cabinet here. So uh, uh, when I get some time, I'm going to go back two solar cycles 
and get that rig going again. That would be great fun. I love that little rig. Never throw anything away, guys. You'll end up rebuilding it. Um, bu bu bum. Let's see what else. Uh, I've even I've even been doing some uh, occasional bit of boat anchor um, uh, work. I got my old Halicrafters uh, HT37 on the air using the antenna that Steve Silverman sent me. I got that up out in the backyard. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for sending that to me. It's now working, and I'm using it on 40 and on 20. Anyway, I fired this thing up early in the morning, and um, I'm calling CQ with an HT37. Halicrafters feeling pretty smug about that. Feeling kind of unique and special. <laughs> I get a call um, from Bruce K5FX. Turns out that Bruce is just about five miles down the road from me, and he too was running a Halicrafters. I think it was an HT44, and you know it was a strange thing. It was it was really early in the morning. It was like five o'clock in the morning. I'm calling CQ on 40, K5FX, who happens to be just down the road, comes back, and I say, "Hey, I'm running a Halicrafters HT37 and a Drake 2B, and he just comes right back and says, oh, that's okay, I'm, I'm running HT44 here, just very kind of matter-of-fact. <laughs> what are the odds? Anyway, um, that was a kind of a kind of an interesting QSO. Guys, I got an idea. Something that we should do, maybe as a group buy, maybe somebody out there can help us, but um, I talked about the um, the hazards of RG174, that mini coax that we use. I'm reaching over to one of the rigs I'm working on, the kick panel transmitter, and I got a piece of this evil coax in my hand right now. It represents a danger to all of our homebrew projects. It represents a danger to our collective psychological balance, an individual psychological equilibrium. Because if you work with this stuff, as we all do, you're, you're living in danger because, you know, first of all, if you get a soldering iron anywhere near this kind of coax, the dielectric material between the center conductor and the braid immediately melts. It just, it, if it sees a soldering iron, it starts to get squishy on you. You get any kind of heat near it and it just melts. And this puts that center conductor perilously close, if not in actual contact with the braid. It'll probably not be in contact with the braid while you're working on it, but somehow it'll be close enough so that when you move it around a little bit, three weeks later, it'll come into contact and send you into about 36 hours of frenzied hair-pulling troubleshooting. The other thing that happens with this wonderful stuff is the braid itself. When you have to solder that braid, very often you have to solder it to ground, to the PC board. And as you do this, little bits of it will flake off. And maybe they'll break away completely from the piece of coax, and then they'll just wander around, sort of by some weird quantum mechanical process. And they will land right at a critical point somewhere else in the circuit shorting out the signal or shorting out the 12 volts or shorting out something, doing something nasty and destructive to your new creation. Again, there'll be about 36 hours of heartache and troubleshooting before you find that little piece there. Anyway, I, I talked about this and one of our listeners came back and said, you know, we got a name for these little bits of coax braid from the RG174 and they're called it's called Murphy's Whiskers. They are indeed Murphy's Whiskers. And gentlemen, what I'm going to propose to you today will remove Murphy's Whiskers from our rigs for a long time to come. I, I think I was reading, yeah, I was reading in the QRP Quarterly, QQ Fall 2004 edition. There I am in the Washington Metro train, Orange Line. I'm zipping along at 60 miles an hour under Arlington County, Virginia. And I'm reading about this wonderful stuff called Belden 1671A. 
Listen to those words, guys. Belden 1671A. This is the material that's going to change our lives. Um, anyway, the guy who was writing in, in, in QQ about this stuff described 1671A almost in seductive terms. Listen to this. The dielectric will not melt. It's made of kryptonite or something. I don't know, but it's made of something, probably Teflon, but kryptonite sounds better, that won't melt. Think of that. No more worrying about how that little center conductor is going to settle down when that dielectric eventually cools off and congeals from the liquid state to the solid state that it's supposed to be. The other thing is that the, the braid, it's got this kind of, the braid is like on the outside. And because the center conductor doesn't melt, when you want to kind of, when you need to solder this thing down to the PC board, there's no need to kind of flake away and pull away a little bit of the braid and then twirl it around like we do to make some of those sort of little weird looking coax pigtail or anything like that. No, none of that. No more. Now you just solder this stuff. And they had pictures of it in QQ and it looks so good. The problem is, though, this stuff is about as expensive as cocaine. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, I don't know how cocaine, how cocaine costs, but suppose it's very expensive but when you look on eBay for this stuff it is not cheap it is more expensive than just about anything else I have here in the shack so um, I think the solution has to be either a group buy or maybe somebody out there maybe some members of the group you know there aren't that many of us I estimate there's only about 3,000 of us doing this in the whole world maybe somebody out there has a role a big role hopefully you know like one of those railroad kind of large size or you know power company wooden um, uh, rolls of something that has a you know a lifetime supply of, uh, of Belden 1671a if you have that stuff don't be holding out on us your your, your brothers are, are, are in need here and we're, we're asking for you you to help us and provide us with Belden 1671a maybe somebody has some connections Maybe somebody knows of a, a work site where the company has thrown it out and wants to write it off as a tax deduction or, I don't know, something. We need Belden 1671A, and I'm hoping that somebody else out there, somebody out there, will, will help us get a hold of some. Okay, let's see. Oh, man, big, big developments here. Talking about troubleshooting. I, it's like, it, guys, it's like the scales have fallen from my eyes. I have in the shack a new oscilloscope. The oscilloscope of my dreams. I have a Tektronix 465 oscilloscope. A Tektronix 465. A friend, a listener of Solder Smoke, who has asked, like the guy in the millionaire TV show, the, my benefactor has asked to remain anonymous. He maintains that this was not a gift, that this was some sort of equipment exchange. But I, I have to tell you that the piece of gear that I sent to him is uh, probably worth, I don't know, one one thousandth of the uh, the value of the, of the uh, Tektronix 465B oscilloscope that I now have center stage on my workbench. It's, it is a thing of beauty, guys. I, I fire it up. Sometimes I fire it up and put a sine wave on it just so that I can look at it. And uh, it's already assisted me. It's already let me see things that I, I couldn't see before. It's a 100 megahertz dual trace scope. It's in excellent shape. I have all the manuals and icing on the cake. It's the same, so, same scope that's being used not only by, by many of you, but also by our, our friend Ashar Farhan, VU2ESE, over there in Hyderabad, India. Uh, now, Farhan recently got the scope, too. We both got them at about the same time. So we're, we've been exchanging emails, congratulating each other on our, our good fortune and uh, on the, uh, the magnificent way in which our troubleshooting capacities have been upgraded. So I will thank my anonymous benefactor, and uh, pledge to, to put this piece of gear to 
frequent and good use, but it's really cool. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Now the, uh, the little Hamag scope, the 20 meg scope that served me fairly well for all these years is, is on standby. And, uh, I'll find some some use for it. You know, you get a you get kind of a sentimental attachment to these things. Uh, I don't know. Oscilloscopes seem to be the kind of thing that cause this kind of sentimental attachment. You know, the other thing that I get a sentimental attachment to. And this is a good way to make a transition here to another topic. I guess this is what they call a segue in the, the broadcast business. <laughs> but I, I another word that I like is telescope. I, I like the word oscilloscope. And I also like the word telescope. And uh, I've been out, I've been doing some telescope maintenance because the uh, the temperature is rising here. I am I am a fair weather astronomer, guys. I'm not into going out there on those cold, dark, wintry nights. No way. Uh, uh-uh. those are those those are conditions that should drive somebody into a nice warm ham shack, not out into the backyard with a telescope. But uh, things are warming up here. Too much. It's kind of weird. But uh, anyway. Uh, I'm taking advantage of it now, and I, I I launched a major campaign to clean up my telescope mirrors. But I got it all squared away. I did some had to do some collimation, some boresight alignment, as one guy told me it was. But I got it all squared away, and I'm out there with the telescopes. Fantastic views. Saturn is visible in the morning, and beautiful. The rings are got at a nice angle. I could see the. Uh, the moon Titan there, really great. I could see with the six-inch Dobsonian Newtonian reflector. I could see divisions in the uh, in the rings. Great, great stuff. Um, in the evening, you guys have noticed two very bright objects um, in the west. That the really bright one is Venus. The not so bright one is Jupiter. And I had the telescope on Jupiter last night fantastically beautiful the four moons the the four galilean moons were perfectly spaced two on each side great stuff i could see stripes of the clouds on uh, the upper part of jupiter's atmosphere really really wonderful and um, mars is also up mars is is visible and it mars is now at its closest approach it is it's in a position relative to us called opposition which means it's the best uh, best time to view a Mars. It's closest. It's at its closest approach. It comes close every two years. Um, it made me realize that the last time I was looking at Mars, we were out in the uh, in the Sabine Hills north of Rome at Ponticelli, and I I had to had to wipe a few tears away when I thought about that. I missed that place. But um, anyway, uh, uh, Mars is now up there, and I can. See it? I can barely make out the um, the northern polar ice cap. It's uh, it's summertime in the northern hemisphere of, uh, of Mars right now, and the uh, ice cap has receded quite a bit. So there's really not it's not as visible as it was two years ago. I can occasionally see some of the dark features that that I think some I think Percival Lowell um, misinterpreted as canals. But it's fun to look at Mars, and I get a I get a good view of it with the uh, the six inch telescope. Venus, not much to see on Venus. Venus is always a bit of a disappointment. It looks like a little faraway crescent moon, and you can't see any surface features. So I think most astronomers aren't crazy about um, looking at Venus. And uh, Orion is high in the sky in the evening, and there's that uh, beautiful nebula in uh, Orion's sword. So I put the scope on that every once in a while. Anyway, good times, uh, Zen and the art of telescope maintenance or something like that. Speaking of telescopes, something I discovered, I put this up on the blog, there are more details on it on the blog, and I, I suspect you guys may soon be sick of hearing me talk about this because I think it's, it's really cool. Um, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, SETI. Um, I've always been interested in this. I think all radio amateurs are interested in this kind of thing. Um, and it's it's been let's face it on again off again and with the funding um, smart Alex in our Congress occasionally decide to chop the funding amidst all kinds of snide comments about uh, little green men and all that but um, the the scientists and the enthusiasts for this project uh, persist and thanks to the work of great people like Jill Tarter and others Jill was the person that uh, 
that Jodie Foster's character was modeled on in the uh, film adaptation of Carl Sagan's book, Contact. Great book, great movie. Um, she's involved in this new round, and it's called SETI Live. They're using a telescope array. It's called the Allen Telescope Array. And Mr. Allen was one of uh, Bill Gates's early collaborators at Microsoft. He's, uh, he's got a lot of financial resources, and he's kindly put about $30 million behind this project. They've set up an array of uh, parabolic antennas in California at a good location. And uh, the, the I really was interested in the approach they're taking. The antennas are built around standard um, TV, uh, TVRO, I guess, TV reception only dishes. And they're um, using easily upgradable uh, software, kind of software-defined radio um, uh, programs, so that the both the hardware and the software can be easily upgraded over time. I was reading the website. They said that by using multiple antennas with um, interferometry techniques, it actually makes it easier to upgrade the system. It's easier to upgrade multiple antennas than it is to upgrade one large dish like the Arecibo dish in Puerto Rico. Um, anyway, they're taking an interesting approach here. You know, I think all of most of us are familiar with the um, <clears throat> SETI at home uh, program. And this is a program designed to make use of the computing power of, of idle computers. And you would download this program and it would run sort of as a screensaver on your machine. And at night, it would use your computer's uh, computational power to help process the data coming in from uh, SETI searches conducted at large antennas such as Arecibo. Um, this new project is doing something different. They're pulling in all the time signals from a select number of stars. These are the stars that have been identified as being fairly close by and having planets around them. You know, they've, they've done a search called the Kepler search. They've identified hundreds, if not thousands, of stars that have planets around them. And this new search is focused on those um, planet-endowed stars. And these antennas are such that they get three beams off the antennas, so the antennas can be looking at three stars at the same time. And what they're asking volunteers to do is essentially, and you guys are going to love this, this is right up our alley, this is our thing, this is what we do. They want volunteers to look at the waterfall displays from the Allen Telescope Array. Holy cow. I mean, that, that's, what we, that's what we do. <laughs> I immediately signed up. I have it on my uh, screen right now. Every time I walk into the shack and I'm waiting, I don't know, you got a few minutes, something, you're waiting for something to happen, you're waiting for the rig to warm up or the soldering iron to warm up, I turn to the computer and I get a few, uh, few signals that have come into the Allen telescopic array. Frequency range um, 0.5 to 11.2 gigahertz. Uh, tuning up, as the joke goes. Uh, and uh, you look at it, and they want you to see. There's all kinds of signals appear there. The name of the game is um, weeding out the terrestrial signals or the signals produced by GPS satellites or other things. And they have a, a little kind of routine where you identify the slope of the signal on the waterfall display. You click on whether it's uh, continuous or whether it's um, on and off, whether it's wideband or narrow, whether it's a straight line or erratic. And you, then you, you just look at the three beams coming off the, the antenna at that moment. Click, click, click. It all takes about about 20, 30, 20 or 30 seconds, and then you've done, and you, you've made a contribution. And then you wait, and the next time you're in, you do the same thing. There's about 32,000 people around the world doing it. I, I find it fascinating, I, uh, and and I, I think most of you guys will also. So uh, take a look at that. It's I, it's on the blog, um, and I think you'll 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 like it. Very very interesting stuff.
Um, let's see, let's see. Oh, you know, I have a question. You know, we talk about the knack and everything else. One thing, and and you know, and the the increase in activity in almost all areas from China. One thing I'm noticing, and I talked about this a while back, you don't really see much evidence of kind of the knack as we know it in in China. I remember during the the days of the Soviet Union, we were always amazed by the really high quality homebrew gear that you saw coming out of out of the Soviet Union and you know you see from from all kinds all other parts of the world you see great examples of this but it doesn't I don't maybe I'm missing something but you don't really see it out of out of China and it's, it's a shame because it must be tremendous talent and and uh, and there must be large numbers of people there who just would would want to be into homebrewing I'm just wondering why maybe we're not seeing it I don't I don't but I don't see you never see you never see kind of a homebrew rig or homebrew design coming out of out of China I'm just wondering why not and uh, what can we do to kind of encourage that had kind of a sentimental moment here um, I was uh, looking for one of the projects I was working on I needed a little little box to put something in I forget what it was, one of my little QRSS rigs or something. I was looking for a little box. And I started rummaging around the junk box, and I found this little box made out of PC board material. And I flipped it over, and there was a little note there saying that uh, that Billy had helped me wind the toroids. Apparently, I'd used this box for a, uh, a six-meter receive down converter, and uh, Billy had helped me wind the coils. And I wrote a little note there saying that Billy aged two had helped me wind the coils on that. Talk about soul, soul in the new machine, guys. That's, that's it. Let's see. Da, da, dum. New scope. I don't know what the next next project's going to be. I have the um, the kick panel rig that I've been talking about. It's uh, it's sitting here, but I um, I need to to figure out what to do with it. I don't know whether I'm going to keep it on on 80 meters or move it up to 40. I don't know. Uh, 40 meters sounds good in the morning, and that's my uh, my time in the shack. So it might make sense to put it on 40 meters, but um, uh, I'll, we'll have to see. I, you know, I I really would like to go higher in frequency, 12 meters and 10 meters beckons, but but the solar cycle has just been stinko, and to use a technical term, and uh, <laughs> even even 17 meters this weekend was fairly fairly dead. I had the uh, when I was cleaning the telescopes, I uh, I pulled out a sheet of paper, aimed the telescope at the sun, and noticed a few spots there, but uh, no great shakes. And you could you could just see that it's uh, there's not a not a whole lot happening. Hey, I mentioned Billy, and I'm going to ask for some some assistance here, guys. Billy, he's getting interested in building a computer. He wants to build his own computer, and I'm of course encouraging this I'm going to give him his own workbench up in his room and I've given him a, a set of tools and everything else but I know some of you guys have uh, expertise and and parts and everything else so if you could send us some some words of wisdom for uh, for Billy's project that would be that would be really really much appreciated um, we, I got him a book and he's starting to work on it but uh, I hope he'll stick with it because I think it would be good for him to do some some uh, some home brewing, even if it's of the uh, computer type. Yeah, I'm just taking a look through the uh, through the blog. It's been such a long time since I produced the last podcast. I've forgotten a lot of the stuff that I put up on the blog. One thing I didn't want to forget, wanted to mention another great contribution to the uh, ham radio literature from Adrian Weiss, W0RSPXK8EEG. Uh, Aid has written another book, and put it available for free online. Really great stuff. The five watt QRP movement in the United States, 1968 to 1981. I, I really enjoyed his first look at QRP history in the United States, covering uh, the earlier period. Great stuff in there. Great stuff. Just uh, descriptions of Aid's own experience in in as as a QRPer. Um, just great great style and I just loved it and I, I, I this um, this book 
uh, the five watt QRP movement in the U.S. 1968-1981 because it deals with a, uh, a period in which all of us were active and getting started. I found it even even more interesting and I've been printing out sections of it and carrying it to work with me um, on the on the Washington Metro. Great contribution. Check it out. It's um, available free. Uh, just do a search for uh, Adrian Weiss, W0RSP, uh, or go to the Solder Smoke blog and look in um, in February. Uh, you'll find uh, an article there about this great book. Thanks to Aid for, for for writing this, for making this contribution to ham radio history, and uh, to providing some some additional really wonderful reading material for for all of us. Uh, I think you guys will will like the book. Uh, go go check it out. Oh yeah, I wanted to mention Billy and I went to um, Winterfest, which is the um, annual ham fest sponsored by the Vienna Wireless Association of Vienna, Virginia. I'm a former member of. Vienna Wireless, great bunch of guys, and uh, every February they do this ham fest, and it's a, it's always a lot of fun. And this year I went, and Billy and I got a table inside, and we had a blast. We just sat there all morning, and uh, we were selling a whole bunch of the same kind of radio junk that everybody else is selling, <laughs> and uh, old books and stuff. But we had new books too there. I happened to have. Uh, 10 copies of Solder Smoke Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics and a few of the other book, Contra Cross, there. And uh, we had them out, and, and I, man, I sold them all. I had a great time. You know, it was, it, it was nice to, to sell them, but it was the nicest part was meeting the folks who were, who were buying them and, and others who just came by to say hello. A lot of people came by and said that they listen to the podcast and, and enjoy it. And that's, that's, that's really rewarding. And then we meet people that, that we only see at at the Hamfest, and a guy that I met, not at this one, but at the previous year's Hamfest, and I didn't even realize who he was until he was walking away. But it's uh, Randy N3UMW. He's the the designer of the solder smoke logo, the uh, the soldering iron with the uh, the smoke coming up and solder smoke, and we use it so many in so many different places on the blog and on the website. But he came by, and it was great great to see him. And um, I mentioned, already mentioned Charles, AI4OT. Yeah, he came by, and I got a picture of him up on the blog. I got a picture of Randy, too, but I got a picture also of, uh, of Charles standing there with me with his, with, Steve, with his Steve Weber QRP rig and the Altoids tin. And uh, Charles, was, Charles was a good, would be a good salesman because when he came by, there were a few guys kind of hovering around the table. You know what I'm talking about. Guys who are thinking about making a purchase but don't want to make it too obvious. Well, well, Charles just jumped right in and he, he started up. He said, wow, Bill, I remember you. You're the, you're the author of that book. I read that book last year. It was great. I, everybody, everybody should buy this book. <laughs> and he really, really poured it on kind of thick. We got to got a kick out of it i tried i tried to encourage him to say that it it changed it changed his life but he said no no he, he, he had to be honest it was good but it wasn't that good anyway uh, he helped us make a few sales and uh thanks uh thanks charles um managed to i managed to sell uh more junk than i came home with which is good it's good not to have a lot of free time at the ham fest because if you do you go around and you buy things and you bring more stuff back but I got rid of a bunch of junk. I got rid of the um, that Sinclair computer that I tried to sell the year before. Some guy bought it and was happy to get it. Got rid of, oh, just a bunch of junk that I think made other people happy. And I bought a receiver. I bought a, hold on a second, let me get the, I think it's a Halicrafter's S off at that point. But um, anyway, um, we uh, got this Halicrafter's receiver. And uh, after, I opened it up and it, you know, all the point-to-point wiring, you get spoiled by uh, by solid-state electronics. And I looked at that thing, and I just kind of went, oh, man. I don't know. Um, but uh, I suppose one of these days I'll get around to fixing it. It's nice to have a little shortwave receiver, tube type. It's got a built-in speaker. You don't see that too often. But I'll have to get to work on this thing. We'll see. Stay tuned. Solder Smoke Mailbag. <laughs> Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, all right. 
Solder Smoke Mailbag. I want to start out by thanking Steve Smith, Steve Snortrosen Smith out there in California on the left coast, uh, one of our most um, loyal Solder Smoke supporters. He heard me um, or, or read about me kind of questioning what I should do with this kick panel rig. You know, this is the rig that I built in London, um, and the cabinet is from the kick panel for a door in a pub. You know, you have a that kick panel at the bottom where people kick the door and they put this metal piece on it to prevent the wood from the door from getting worn out. And I had built this um, 80 meter or 75 meter DSB rig on it. I was asking for suggestions about what I might want to do with this thing. Steve wants me to go SSB and to uh, put kind of uh, some resources behind this suggestion. He sent me two wonderful little PC boards. They look like they're out of some old Yesu rig, but they've got the crystal filter in there. 9 megahertz crystal filter. And it's got all the associated crystals for um, carrier frequency, for upper sideband, lower sideband. Those are the, the main things you need to, to get an SSB rig going. And I am going to cherish these boards, and they are, I promise you, Steve, they're going to someday work their way into a, uh, a solder smoke into CQR SSB rig. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for sending those along. Thanks a lot, Steve. Also got to thank um, Mike, N5JKY, out there in, in Oklahoma City. He and I have been exchanging emails about um, calibrating um, power meters. We both have um, the W7ZOI um, logarithmic uh, power meters. Mike, uh, KL7R, and I were, were building these um, rigs, these test pieces of test gear shortly before Mike uh, passed away. And um, uh, Mike N5JKY sent me a neat little kit for a, a calibrating power source. And I have it here, and, and that's going to be one of my one of my projects. And and thanks very much, Mike, for for sending that along. Very kind. Andy uh, GM Zero NWI sends a nice note saying that he's enjoying the rig, likes the work on the 17 meter breadboard rig, um, but uh, he he says that he's going into withdrawal symptoms because of the uh, tardiness and. In getting another solder smoke out. I'm sorry about that, uh, Andy. Here you go. I hope this helps with the symptoms. Got a nice email from um, Bert, Papa Alpha One Bravo. Uh, Bert is a real QRPP enthusiast, and he's got a nice blog with a nice article about uh, in which he works out kind of the mathematics behind uh, path loss and uh, and QRPP and how much you lose through absorption, how much you lose when it bounces off the, the F layer and all that. Uh, check it out. Um, it's um, uh, If you search for the blog, it's papaalpha1bravo-qrp.blogspot.com. Uh, Bert's a very nice fellow and uh, has done some interesting work in explaining the, uh, the math and the propagation but behind really low power QRP work. He he makes many contacts at uh, 2.5 or 5 milliwatts out at the uh, 1,000 uh, mile range. Uh, very, very nice. Got a nice email from uh, Dino, KL0S. I love that name, Dino. I'm from New York, and we always had guys in the neighborhood named Dino. <laughs> it brings me back. <laughs> um, and uh, Dino says that... Uh, uh, the Ray, uh, v VK4ZW, had sent in an idea about a solder pot, and it's basically a way of making like a pot of molten solder that you can use to easily and cleanly remove the enamel from uh, enameled magnet wire used in the formation of toroidal and other coils. Um, Dino points out that uh, Doug Hendricks' tech note on the Hendricks QRP site talks about using a solder pot too. www.qrpkits.com backslash files backslash mini solder pot dot pdf. Check it out. Thanks for that, Dino. Always a pleasure. Got a nice email from Pete McChrystal in Australia. 
Pete doesn't have a call sign yet, but I'm sure that's going to be corrected soon. He's been inspired by the Solder Smoke podcast. He's downloaded the uh, the book. He's reading it on his uh, his e-reader. He's well on his way to a full-blown case of the knack. Hang in there, Pete. Let us know if you need any any help. Thanks for the nice email. Oh, got a great email from Bob Keller, KY3R. Met him at the Hamfest. Met him at the Winterfest. He sends this really, really, very wonderful email. Talks about how he's listening through the podcasts. He's up to number sixty-seven, where I was just getting settled in Rome. He uh, he likes the mentions of uh, Gene Shepherd. He says that the podcast has inspired him to do uh, some home brewing, and uh, he's he's building all kinds of stuff. Let's see. He says here, um, uh, his first radio was a Drake 2B. Yes, and he has one in the shack now, but it's not the same one. He he later got a Hammerland HX50. He says the, the name HX50 ostensibly referred to 50 watts. But I think it was really because the thing weighed 50 pounds. Um, let's see. He got rid of his two and a half inch refractor telescope to make room for the boat anchors. He later gave it uh, away to get a Kenwood 530 succession to rigs after that. His favorite being the Drake Sea line He has a Drake TR7 now, but probably uses, uses HWA just as much. Oh, man. Tell you what, this guy, Bob, you, you've got the knack big time. And he sent me uh, something really cool, and I have it in my hand now. It's known as the DX Edge, and it's essentially an old-style analog kind of slide rule calculator for showing you where the gray line is, where that DX Edge is. And I'm going to put this in my collection of old-style slide rule calculators. Bob correctly has perceived that I am a very much an analog kind of guy. So um, anyway, thanks very much for that. Uh, a nice email from uh, Jeff W7WWA in Central Maine. Uh, he's been listening to old back episodes, really enjoying them. Uh, he's he's listening to them all a second time around and, 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 and likes them. Happy to report that he's got a new scope also. A 100 megahertz Rigol DSO, very good. He says it's uh, it's very nice to have his own scope on his own bench now. Indeed, I know the feeling. Thanks, Jeff. Bruce KK0S reports that uh, the Sputnik replica transmitter project lives on. He was surfing the web and found a kit uh, for 20 bucks. Two tubes, a crystal, and other parts included. Wow, who knew? It's available from an operation, I think, in the Czech Republic. HTTP colon backslash backslash hamshop dot cz slash kits dash c4. Wow. I think if you Googled it, you'll find it. If anybody needs the link, let me know and I'll send it to you. And it's uh, Repliki Sputniku Pro 21 megahertz dash I-155. Wow, very good stuff. That's placebo and all that. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm not going to get to all the mail. That's what happens when so much time passes between episodes. I'll try to get to some that I miss next time. But I want to wrap up. We got a nice email from Michael AA1TJ, the poet laureate of... QRP, the hero of the Hobbit Hole, our man in the Green Mountain State. Uh, Michael writes in and says that uh, he and his wife were watching Masterpiece Theater recently. Hey, I've been there. I'm Downton Abbey. I'm, we're, we're into it. Um, Masterpiece Theater's recent rendition of Dickens' Oliver Twist. And uh, in this episode, Michael has found an 1837 mention of the term the knack. This may be the earliest use of the knack as we know it, because uh, in this episode on Masterpiece Theater, um, the artful Dodger says to Fagin, Ain't I got the knack? And Fagin replies, You have the knack, my dear. All right, on that happy literary note, (laughs) 7-3 from Northern Virginia. Thanks for listening, guys.
The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!